Hello and welcome to Music Forward Foundation's Industry Sessions, Conversation in Music. Music Forward is a part of the House of Blues and Live Nation family that inspires ambition and creates momentum to redefine what is possible for young people in the music industry. Check out musicforwardfoundation.org for more information and let's get into the show. I'm so happy to be here with you. Um, so uh, it is correct. My role is the head of educational partnerships at the MLC, um, but I'm also a professor of music industry. And so I'll be playing the role of moderator today uh, because actually uh, the MLC does not do anything with videos. <laughs> so I am kind of wearing my, my professor hat here as well. So we have an amazing panel set for you today. So um, so welcome to All Access Fest. Um, so today's session is about music supervision, and we're going to discuss details, trends, and career pathways around this topic. Um, we're joined by some of the industry's top leaders in the space, and they're so much fun. Um, so let's begin with some panelist introductions. Um, let me, uh, I'm going to call on them, haha, <laughs> in my you know, moderator's choice order. So I have to start with Barry. So tell us about yourself and your role in the industry in like one minute or less. <laughs> All right. My name is Barry Coffing. I started out with the high school for the performing visual arts in Houston, Texas. Had a bunch of bands, sang a bunch of jingles, ran off to LA to be a rock star. Had a deal on Warner Brothers, went double cardboard. Uh, had my own label on Sony, went broke. Uh, had a bunch of bad publishing deals, have an admin deal with Universal, decided perhaps I might be a better songwriter than I was at anything else. Wrote 200 songs for film and TV. I'm an Emmy loser, uh, which is very good. I now have a company called MusicSupervisor.com. We represent 18,000 labels and libraries from 78 countries around the world. And before COVID, we were putting a song in a film or a TV show every 72 hours. Boom. That is amazing. And in case some of you, because you guys are, you know, newer to the industry, double cardboard is not a thing. <laughs> that was a play on the fact that the other end of the spectrum is like double platinum kind of. So there's a couple of inside baseball jokes there. But by the time you're done with this whole conference, you're going to know all these little jokes. You are going to know these jokes. All right. So, so thank you, Barry. That was like lightning fast. Okay. So let's go to Kurt next. Say hi. Ooh, hi. <laughs> Tough act to follow. Uh, my name is Kurt DeBeek. I am the CEO and CTO of SyncFloor. We are a platform for connecting uh, uh, people who are looking for great commercial music in all sorts of spheres like uh, film, TV, advertising, fitness, gaming, podcasting, etc. into music from the commercial independent ecosystem, labels and publishers and artists um, from some of the best music in the world, which comes from independence. Um, uh, and and we, we love to showcase what they do and help give them access to opportunity. And so, so that's what we're about. And I'm here coming here from Seattle. Ooh, we got both like far ends, like, woo, you and I are way apart, way down. Uh -huh. Way up there, way down here. That's so awesome. Um, welcome. Um, all right, Nicole, say hi. Hello. Um, yeah, so um, I am a Jersey resident. Um, I work remotely all over the place, though. <laughs> um, I do some um, clearances for TV and film. Um, but in that, I also own a Indigi Music. Uh, which is, it started out as a music library and then it turned into um, 
publishing and then it turned into now we're doing admin and everything under the sun. Um, we're even uh, distributing some of our stuff now as well. Um, and uh, been doing this for about 15 years. Um, before that, I was at MTV. Uh, that's where I discovered that I should be doing this, <laughs> but not for anybody else um, and really for myself. So um, it's grown into um, a lovely thing. <laughs> um, and that's it. I mean, I, I music supervise on a um, couple projects. Sometimes you kind of fall into it naturally when you're dealing with um, clearances. Um, I would say that 90% of music supervision is, is music clearances. And then uh, the rest of it is, is a uh, creative uh, that, that audio visual. So, um, so I don't like, to be a music supervisor per se. Um, it's very stressful. Um, so I kind of don't ever label myself as a music supervisor, but um, I am uh, a middleman between the artists, composers, uh, the creatives and the music supervisors. Great. Well, we're going to explain so much of this stuff because I'm sure that everybody's like sitting there taking notes going, oh, what does that word mean? What does that word mean? What does that word mean? You know, um, because, you know, when you're new to this stuff, it's almost it's like half the task is learning the lingo. Right. Half of this. It's all about like, what does that vocabulary mean? It sounds fantastic. It sounds fascinating. So that's what we're we're. Don't worry. We know we threw, we threw some terms at you. We can't help ourselves. When we describe ourselves, we start using the lingo. We're going to unpack it all. I promise. I promise. So Derek, say hi. Hello. Uh, yeah, I'm Derek Pierce. I go by he, him pronouns. Uh, I'm based in Los Angeles, California, a transplant from New York uh, about one week pre-pandemic. So I'm cooped up here. Uh, I've been in the business for about 10 years in sync. I'm currently the manager of sync at primary wave music, which is the uh, largest independent music publisher in the world. And I basically spend my days pitching music to music supervisors, be it our iconic classic catalog or our contemporary roster. But it's all a fancy way of saying uh, I get to spend my days making playlists and, uh, sending music for people to, to good in things. So awesome. I'm so, so grateful to be up here with you guys. Um, I'll do one little plug just so you know, uh, there were some of my colleagues that spoke on other panels today already. If you are a songwriter, a self-administered songwriter, so you're acting as your own publisher, you must find out about the MLC. Go to themlc.com. And that's all I'll say because we're actually not involved in video. But if you're a songwriter and your music's on like a streaming service, you need to know about us so you get paid, okay? Um, and like I was saying in my other day job, I actually am a music industry professor. So I love speaking to this age group. I know I've got some of my students out there. So hello from the U. And it turns out Kurt is also a former U of a student. So it's amazing. It's like a lot yep. of stuff here. Woohoo! All right. So, so I've got some questions and I'm going to throw them out to the panelists and then we will get to questions at the end as well. And what I'm going to ask you guys, because um, my guess is none of you guys are actually teachers all day long. When you use a term, try and tell people what it means first. Okay. Like it's hard because we just speak the language, but try when you introduce a new word that like, you know, your mom would be like, what? <laughs> tell everybody what that means. Okay. All right. Perfect. So actually, um, I am going to go, I'm going to come back to Derek since I went to you last, Derek. 
So can you describe what music supervision or synchronization or sync for short, what is that to our audience? Can you well, it's essentially, primer? it's essentially the act of, of putting music to, to video, to, to film, but that can mean a number of things. I mean, the little things you'll come to realize is like, that can also just mean someone has, is on screen saying the lines to a song doesn't actually have to mean that the song is being placed in it. Um, so essentially, there's kind of the two roles there. As Nicole started to touch on, a, a music supervisor is responsible. They're the one working with the editor. They're the one working with the showrunners to place the music in the film. But let's say they need music. What they're going to do is send it, uh, what we call like a search or a brief to a bunch of people like me who represent different catalogs from across the board, different publishers, labels, etc. And then someone like me who works in sync licensing, I will take that brief, comb through what they need, uh, try to do my best to put together either a replacement for a song or, or seeing you know, whatever lyrical needs are trying to match, whatever it be for the specific terms, budget, fees that they need. And then I send it away. And, and if they want to use it, you know, then there's a whole process of, of clearances and approvals and, and whatnot. But essentially what we are all trying to do is, is place a song into it, you know, whatever it is, whether it be a TV, film, commercial, et cetera. Awesome. So let's, um, I know a lot of folks listening are also kind of, you know, thinking about career paths and maybe they didn't even know these jobs existed. And they're like, wow, somebody does that? Like somebody does it for a living? Um, so maybe Kurt, can you tell us a little bit more about like, how does somebody even become a music supervisor? Like what might that path look like? Sure. Uh, the, you know, I think one of the things to do is to step back and realize that it's a really exciting time in music supervision because the breadth of opportunity for doing the creative work of music supervision has sort of exploded. Um, as Derek was alluding to, um, it's not, you know, traditionally people thought of it as something that had specifically to do with film and TV and advertising and finding ways to get your stuff into you know, sort of those creative endeavors. Now it's exploded to where, you know, a, a fitness trainer, right, might be supported by a production team who's looking for lots of great music to, to put into recorded classes, right? And they also need to find great creative commercial music to do that. And they're, you know, take somebody like a Peloton, like Peloton has a team of music supervisors who what they do is support those great trainers that you see on Peloton and find great music to put into their playlists so that they could be recorded. And so really, when you look at the, the opportunity, it's now spanning lots and lots of stuff. And it means that your pathway to get into that, that role is now is now sort of many fold. And so you could come at, it, come at it first from the point of view, well, what's the creative pursuit that I really am into? Am I into fitness? Am I into gaming? Am I into podcasting? All of those things, any storytelling, you know, like all those things can sort of get you into a spot where you can help serve the production team's need in terms of trying to find great music to pair with their visuals or with their audio. And so, so those, those are some of the, the ways to think about that career. Yeah, it's so amazing. If you, if you think about, you know, music creators, but if you think about the breadth of music users, right? How many different companies mm -hmm. out there use music somebody else has created it's enormous, right? It's enormous. So, so Barry, so can you tell the group a little bit more about the specific skills that you need to be successful in your role? What about your role? What skills are needed? So I'm secretly, um, tripolar in that, uh, 
I represent a library and help a bunch of other music supervisors. I also uh, come from a background of writing songs to picture. And um, I'm also secretly a music supervisor. So um, so working on all, all parts about this, I mean, I generally tend as a supervisor, I'm in the small indie realm. Uh, so I'm using, you know, three million and under in terms of a budget. Um, the thing I would say for these this this age group is a music supervisor has a lot of different meanings to different people. It can be, and pardon my French, it can be strictly, I need this famous song, Nicole, get me this song. And there are certain directors that think that's what a music supervisor is. Another group of people are going, hey, I'm going to go to Derek. I need some young guys. I need some old classic tunes. I need a mix of everything. I'm going to go over here, Derek, get me a bundle. I got a budget of X. Some other people may be going, hey, you know what, Kurt? I've got this small indie film. I don't need just music for the film. I need some heat on it. So I don't just want a library guy. I want some artists that are out there trying to make a living doing the music that I'm going to put in the film. I had a movie called The Never List, and we put in 17 songs in it, but they were all young bands. And part of the way that I sold it to the director and stuff is I said, here are the bands I'm putting in, and here is their social reach, which was over $2 million. When they took this thing out on the West Coast and it went on demand, this, this movie was made for under a half million dollars. Really, really low budget. But the bands were so popular and they pushed it so much on the video on demand, we got on Spectrum on the West Coast. It got on the number one on video on demand. So nowadays, when I'm an independent supervisor working with an indie film, I'm not just going, this will work for your film. I'm going... This will bring some heat to your film. These are some bands that are going to help promote it. I'm selling other things besides that. Um, and so you, you, want to, you want to be cognizant of their, their budget and their business. One of the things people say, hey, what, what's a budget for, for a film? Uh, a ballpark thing is it should be 5% of the total budget. A lot of people don't do that. But if you're wondering, so if, you, if somebody tells you it's commonplace in our business, they say, what's the budget of the movie? It's not coming from the South. That's a route I never talk about my money. Well, in our business, everybody knows your business. So you got to go in. If I'm going to, to Derek for, for a, a bigger project, I'm going to say, hey, I, I need a song for this. I need all media rights in perpetuity, which means I want to put it anywhere and everywhere I can, I can put it so I can make money. He's going to go, okay, well, what's the budget? Because that affects what he's going to charge. You know, if you're doing, there are certain, every little piece, every right that you want, I want to put it on the internet. I want to put it on TV. I want to sell, you know, downloads. Every single thing you do, the price goes up, you know, but I one think, of the things. I think, ahead. and so I just want to, um, I want to be conscious of all that terminology. I'm sorry. <laughs> I think, I'm sorry so I'm sorry. I, so um, only because we're, we're focusing um, a bit less on how a deal is done and a little more about how you guys got to where you are. What I'm hearing from everything you're saying is you have to be persuasive, right? You are selling. You're kind of like, I know you wanted X, but let me try and persuade you about why you also need Y, right? And Barry's one of the most persuasive people I've ever met. And you have to know all the nitty gritty about like the the legal stuff, what rights are we talking about? And what is a fair price for that? Right. There's a lot of, a little, a lot of little details in these agreements that you have to know. So you have to be detail oriented. You have to be persuasive. Um, those I think are some skills that, you know, I can tell just from listening to Barry talk for like two, three minutes. 
And those are skills he's got like times 10, right? Um, so I think uh, I, I, it's, it's um, thank you for that, Barry. I just want to, I don't want to get us too deep down a rabbit hole on um, all of the nitty gritty. Cause I promise you, we won't be able to like, it's because you're passionate and there you go that's another skill set you need to have right this is not like a cushy lazy phone it in job you have to be so passionate that like you live and sleep and eat and breathe this stuff which is why we could let Barry tell you about everything for like an hour or two and we would not get a breath in because he's so passionate and so hopefully Hopefully those are some, some good things that you got there from Barry. Um, I'm going to pivot a little bit. Oh, I was just about to ask. <laughs> yes, okay. All right, all right, Derek, I'm going to ask you. <laughs> um, so, all right, Derek, so if, if you're thinking about, you know, what it takes to succeed in this space and, you know, what a sync rep or music supervisor, what they do, what might be some of the things involved in that role that people don't know about? Like some of the things somebody would be like, wow, really? Like, I didn't know that that was even a thing that you have to know about that or you have to have those skills. Like, what are maybe some of the lesser known things that people might be surprised to learn? I think a lot of it does come down to the licensing aspect of it. Like, exactly how much goes into it, how much paperwork, how many uh, different sets of of things that are signed. Like, for me, for instance, so when I got into this business, uh, I'm like second career on. Like, you know, I started as an actor and wanted to do something else and decided I wanted to be a music supervisor, that, that there was a way I could kind of blend the two things I loved the most. And so what I did was I, you know, I started interning at a sync licensing company. And what I started to realize was like, oh, this is actually the, the music supervisor job is not what I thought it was, which is just like, they're, that's the fun part. They're just like, they're getting the awards, they're putting the music in things and picking the music. And at the end of the day, it's like, there's a whole chain of command that I don't think people are aware of, of okay, I'm pitching it and, and I have a great relationship with the supervisor and I get to just pitch my music all day and I'm happy. But they then are turning to a showrunner and they're turning to, to, you know, or if it's an advertising agency, you know, you're working with the agency. Well, they've got a client. So no matter what, there's always somebody kind of working over. And, and I don't think you start to realize exactly how many people are involved in, in just one song in one commercial is, is dozens of people and in that is is a million emails and weeks and months of negotiations and licensing and paperwork and, and nothing is just as simple as like great here you go and here's your check you know there's there's many 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 careers <laughs> built around it. Yeah, there is so much more that goes on behind the scenes that people don't have any idea how many people are involved. Um, awesome. So Nicole, can you hear us? I can. Awesome. And forgive me, my mind might be a little staticky. I'm going to switch my headset in a second. But um, so, Nicole, so if you are going to answer the question, you know, and I'm sure some of our viewers have this question, um, what is the best way for like an independent artist or a band to get their music placed in some kind of video content? Do you have any any insights you want to share now? I'm sure we're going to have a bunch of questions on that at the end, too. Um, yeah, I mean, I would reach out to, um, everybody or people like everybody on this panel. Um, and then, uh, there, there are different functions. Um, you know, there are publishers that deal mainly with songwriters as opposed to artists. And then there are artists that deal, um, or, or labels or mini labels or, um, independent labels that deal mainly with, with independent artists. Um, 
And then there are sync agents as well who um, don't necessarily fall under those because there's no ownership by them. Um, and those uh, sync agents will hit your music for for a small fee um, if there is a placement. So um, they'll do a deal with you. You know, you obviously you're going to have to um, reach out to the the correct sync agents or the reputable ones that are out there now. But um, but those are the ones that um, will most likely pitch material that's already existing um, as opposed to somebody like me, where I only deal with music uh, for our specific catalog. So um, so there are those two uh, big differences, like where to where, you know, basically, um, you know, to navigate like where you're supposed to send your stuff to. Um, and. I mean, really, there is a lot of legwork that goes into pitching music. And it's it really it's not an overnight thing. It sometimes takes years to build relationships with people that um, you are in trust with, you know, that you're you, you're going to not cause any issues along the lines of clearing music. Um, you know, that's not necessarily one stop, meaning um, I will explain. I don't know if you explained one stop while I was uh, not here. So, <laughs> um, yeah, so there's um, when you're going to uh, get approval, like let's say I'm uh, on the creative on a film and I want to use a song, then I'm going to have to go for uh, permission um, on the master side and on the publishing side. Um, and the master pertains to the actual version of the song or the sound recording and the publishing. Um, pertains to the song, the, the copyright of the song. So um, a good example, um, we, we had a song recently and um, there's a, a film uh, called Respect and it's, it's the biopic on Aretha Franklin and with Jennifer Hudson. And so that film, um, you know, we, when they wanted to use uh, one of our songs, they, they came to us for permission we gave them permission to use the sound recording and the publishing. However, um, and it, it's good for them because they only had to come to me for that. Sometimes you wind up going to a label for the master um, and the publisher for the publishing. So, um, so yeah, it's a, a barry. You, what's going on there with your four fingers? <laughs> I think he was just describing how many different people you have to get rights from. How many right? different publishers you can have. If you got yeah. hip hop, you may have six publishers. Yeah, so yeah. we have a very yeah. we have a very hip hop catalog. So um it's it's why um you know we've we've done well in the past being a one stop. So um uh, but it's um so the respect placement, it started out with permission for the master and the publishing, but then they decided that they don't want to use our master. They want to have somebody covering on the piano, playing the piano, playing our track. So, um, so they save money that way because the studio wound up owning that version. Um, but uh, they still needed to come to us for the publishing. So whether, you know, it doesn't matter what master you're going to use, um, but the publisher, you'll always have to get permission for. So um so on the master, it could switch up a bit. It, you know, sometimes people want to just compose their own version because they'll save the other fee on the master side. And usually the master in the sync, the sync, which is the publishing, um, is 
they're usually equal to each other. And, you know, if it isn't a one stop, maybe the label will say something like, you know, MFN with uh, the publisher. I'm going to stop you because we are way too deep in the weeds and we are like in acronym city. And a lot of the folks listening have no idea what we're talking about. So I'm just going to pull it back in. I'm going to play that moderator role. Okay. We're mostly talking about career paths, uh, what self like artists on their own, what they can do to help, you know, help stack the deck in their favor to get their music checked out. We are not going to dive into deal terms or okay. any of that kind of stuff, right? So, yeah. so I love you guys all, but I'm gonna I'm gonna play that professor right now and be like, this group, not that audience, okay? When, when you were gone, so, uh, me, so okay, so I would say stick so, to people like people on this panel: uh, publishers, labels, independent labels, sync agents. Yeah, yeah, there you go. Exactly. Uh, she she wrapped it up perfectly. So so then let me see if um let's see, Kurt, do you want to get in on this for a second? Um, and then maybe somebody else could chime in. Um, so when music supervisors um, might be looking for artists' music out there, right? Look, looking on social media, for example, what are the kind of things that they're looking for? Sure. Uh, you know, maybe one thing I think would be helpful as far as thinking about career paths. Um, is to sort of tell a little bit about the fact that music supervisors sort of come in two camps, right? They're sort of the music supervisor who's on the, the sourcing side. So they they represent, as, you know, sort of Nicole and, and Barry have talked about, artists themselves in some form and, and are trying to pitch to people doing creative projects, those things, or, or receive requests saying, here's what I'm looking for, the feel, the vibe I'm looking for. And they try to sort of dig through their crates to provide that. Then there are music supervisors who are on the sort of licensee or production end, right? So they're the ones who actually work for the director on a film or for the advertising agency or for the fitness company, right, et cetera. And they're, they're the ones who are actually saying, well, I'm trying to help translate the creative that we're to look, you know, sort of talking about into some sort of vibe that we're looking for with respect to music. If you're an artist, you may end up dealing with either one of those, but one of the starting point things that, that we found as we, we talk to the music supervisors of all stripes is that they, they look first for something that has authenticity and that really stands out because of that authenticity. And, and so there's something that we tell artists all the time, which is that, you know, we get this, this thing where people say, well, should I make my music sound like X or should I make my music do Y? Right. And we say, no, you, you know what you do, you, right. It's very, very difficult to game the creative system, right? What you have to do is do something where the, the best stuff in terms of sync happens when two creative visions line up and they make magic, right? And to, to do that, you have to be authentic to what stories you're trying to tell because the more you are, the more likely that that authenticity lifts the narrative that somebody else is trying to get out there. And so that's incredibly important. Um, so, so I would say that's like the number one thing I would tell artists about um, as they look. All right. So last lightning round before we take questions. Okay. So I'm going to you first, Barry. Tell us, you know, not a lot of depth, right? But what has been your favorite project to work on? Um, I would say the, the Neverless thing, the, the in, small indie film, because we had, uh, you know, we had control. Of the, it was my second film with the director, so we had a good working relationship. Uh, but I, I could throw out one thing in a lightning round. 
that may enlighten them more. I'm actually supervising a film right now, and I will address this to the other panelists. I've got a film set in 1974 in Florida. It's about a serial killer. It takes place from 1974 to 1980. I am looking for young, hot bands that sound like they could have stepped out of 1974. Please reach out to me. That's how it works. When, I, when I'm, you're the supervisor, you're going, hey, here's what I'm looking for. I'm looking for this. If they got good social numbers, great. If they're young and cute, even better. If they're an influencer, that's best. And See, that's why it's good to come here for panels like this. You just never know what opportunity is going to land in your lap. Fantastic. All right, Derek, favorite project? Uh, I, I mean, it's tough because I'm pitching to a million different projects all day. It's not like I'm music supervising my own. But I'll say it's always a blast to pitch for the things that you like. Like, it, it never gets old to watch a show that you love and, and hear a song that you placed in it. So you're always going to try. I mean, you're always going to try your hardest. But, like, you really want to kill it when it's something that you watch because you also know the signature sound of that show. So you really should be able to hone in and, like, focus on something that you you really like so that always just means a little bit bit more to you when you get to see it that's awesome and we lost her again she'll be back again in a second okay current Kurt, favorite project to work on yeah, I, you know, I'll take a different, I'll have a different take on this. So we, you know, we build a platform that connects sort of people on those two sides of the, the music supervision realm, um, you know, and we build technology. And that's something we haven't touched on uh, a lot today. But one of the things I think music supervisors today have to sort of keep a pulse on is the technological landscape that really helps make that those connections work more efficiently and, and give them access to, to more creativity and diversity in terms of content and also gives, you know, independent artists more access to opportunity. Um, for me, that's that's sort of what it's been all about. Um, in terms of projects, you know, personally, uh, uh, something we actually just launched is a podcast series uh, called Sync Love, which is all about you know, talking to music supervisors and talking to them in the context of a particular film that inspired them, but really as a way to talk about what has shaped their career and their choices. And I think that it, that's been some of the most interesting conversations, you know, I've had where people really dug deep about really what makes their creative process tick. And um, and that's something I think a lot of the, the folks in the audience could get a lot out of. And so it's out there as well. So, uh, hi, Jack, UM student. So are we ready to go to questions, my tech person? Yeah, let's do it. We've had a lot of good questions coming in. So let's start out with one from Emily, who asks, if someone is interested in going into sync um, and doing sync on the publishing side, where would you recommend starting and trying to get your foot in the door? Work at a publisher. Do not pass go. Intern, whatever you got to do, they will, if you can see the per paperwork and work on that, that gets you 50% of where you want to be. Yeah, I would say interning 100% of the way. Like, I'm, I'm a firm believer of, the, of that because, you know, when it comes time to hiring for those smaller roles, be it part time coordinator, whatever it is, it's a little smaller that's willing to hire somebody with a little experience. If you've crushed it for them, you're actually going to be considered. So, Intern for every publisher and just and build that resume and take every every role. Totally. Uh, we'll then jump to a question from Fabian who asks, "What would you recommend to be the best practices for metadata? What information do you think needs to kind of be put into the WAVs um, and the MP3s to make sure that like you guys are seeing it and are able to like get the information you need?" 
I, mean, I would say personally, I'm like, so excited. All right, go ahead, go for it. I'm just so happy they asked one. That is so awesome. You know, like, okay, go ahead. Contact information. Uh, you know, if we're sending music to a music supervisor, they're getting things from a million different people a day. They want to just be able to look in the comments section and see, oh, this is primary way. Call Derek at whatever. This is the year of it. Is it unreleased? Is it not? Um, you know, you can throw in some tempo things, but at the end of the day, however you're sending music, the way they're downloading it and uploading it, they might not see everything that you have in it. So just those base things are kind of important. I use a system called Disco. If I take what you're giving me, you know, from just a, a, a zip file or a, a Dropbox, you know, whatever it uploads as, might all of that might disappear. So um, I would just say contact information in the comments would be most important. Tell them why you use Disco. Pardon me? I said, tell them why you use Disco. Why do a lot of people that are professionals use Disco? What's the advantage? Uh, it, it is, at this point, kind of becoming the It's not the industry standard, but it is becoming that way. It, it is a very simplified way to not only send music if you're an artist, and I saw another question like that in the chat, but uh, it's very easy. Someone can just send you a link. You can hit click, upload to your Disco. It's in your inbox. You've got it in your thing, and, and all of that is there, and you can put in anything every kind of like lyrical content mood feel etc and all of that will actually come through when i download it and put it in my inbox but the other thing too if you're somebody who has music you could track and see if derek really listened to your song or if he didn't so the best part about just going pitching now is like you send it and you're like did they download did they listen did they even open you and on Disco, you track them and they oh i loved it in the third chorus you lion sack you never <laughs> I'm sorry. But supervisors are catching on to that now. I will make a pitch also that where if you have an opportunity to include the different industry identifiers in your data set, you should know them. You know, whatever that may be, right? Recordings have a particular identifier. It's called an, an ISRC. ISRC. Mm -hmm. Songs have an identifier called an ISWC. Songwriters and publishers have identifiers. So if you happen to know what those are and there's places to put them, it's, it can only be beneficial to everybody if you include them. Yeah, I, and you know, Sarona, I think off of that, I'd, I'd piggyback that if you take a step back and look at, you know, sort of the, the criti how critical metadata has, is and is becoming more and more so to the industry, really you as the source, right, need to step back and say, from an organizational perspective, what do I keep? And in some ways, depending on who you're talking to, they may receive the highest fidelity of that or not. But you at the source should have the highest fidelity. And it really boils down to sort of these three buckets, right? One is identifiers, identifying information. And so ISRC, IWSC, ISWC, et cetera, are the things that, that commercially identify your content. Then there's you know, sort of the, the licensing metadata. The, so so who, who are all the writers on it? Uh, and who are, you know, if you have multiple masters associated with the thing, where, what are all those, et cetera, et cetera, right? The, the idea is to make sure that somebody can get a really clear idea and that you have a really clear idea of who should, who, who gets paid with respect to your content. And then there's sort of the, the sort of content specific metadata. And so lyrics and genre and theme, and, and there you can kind of go wild. Like in our, in our system, our taxonomy is incredibly rich with respect to all of those things because it then drives our ability to do really rich search. And that, that's the thing is no matter what they're bringing it into, what they want to drive is search, right? And so, so having all of that at the source is really important as a place to start. 
That was a lot of really good information. I hope everyone that is listening has been taking notes because that was a lot of goodness right there. And also, if you have any other questions, the Q&A is still open until we all say goodbye. So feel free to uh, continue asking questions. Um, but to continue on to an, uh, the next one, um, one from Mary Grace, uh, she asks, is it common to have publishing and sync combined? It is if you're independent. Generally, the independent artist who wrote it and to publish it also as the master. That is, and that also answers your next question. That is the one-stop clearance. It means I make one phone call, Derek's got the master, and he's got the sync and you know, the, the publishing controlled. So I can make one deal with him or with Nicole, and I get the whole thing. And that is your advantage as an independent artist is to control both sides. And then that gives you the one-stop capability. And one-stop means one person who says yes to this price, this deal, it's done. That is and your power as an independent speed. And I'll pig, piggyback on what Barry said there, which is that the independent ecosystem. So we we deal a lot with, you know, independent labels and publishers and distributors. And so, you know, something like 95 partners now across that ecosystem. That is the, you know, as he said, the key thing is that if they can represent music one stop. So it's not just about the independent artists, but anybody in that that chain, if they can represent it one stop, it means they can that greases the wheels of transactions. And in our case, you know, some of the things we do, for instance, are enabling things like microtransactions for, for instance, fitness, where, you know, a fitness instructor um, or production team for fitness wants to pull together a playlist and say, great, we've got that for the recording. And they hit one button and it's done. And then in our case, we even bill them monthly for all of the activity they do for their, their recordings um, and their live streams. And you can only do that type of thing, you know, in terms of a platform when you really can get rid of the complexity that's involved in trying to gather up rights approvals from lots and lots of different parties. And so that one-stop thing really, really helps. One place to go to, to get the permission. Um, and so, so that's, you know, and we're seeing that more and more in the independent ecosystem in general. Nice. Does anyone else have anything else to add to that before uh, either, if anyone has any final questions in the, in the chat is watching, please send them now um, or else we're going to start wrapping up to the end of our time. Maybe one of the last things would be good is if anybody other panelists want to recommend any like blogs or books or places that people could go to learn more about this segment of the industry, you know, maybe maybe there's some uh, some good advice amongst the panelists on that point to kind of, you know, set us off. I don't know that I have that necessarily, but but I would say there's a lot to just starting to get to know the craft as a whole. Like, just really start paying attention. I, I think it can be fairly benign to watch something and, and the music happens and you're not really thinking about it, but really just start to pay attention to the trends. And, and if you're an artist, that's also should should start giving you a little bit of an idea of what's being used and what, what kind of the general speak of the landscape is. But I would say really just start to, to pay attention to all things. Like, okay, I, I want to land myself in advertising, then, then what is landing in advertising? What are those lyrical themes? What is that sound? What, what they're using in instrumental? What is it? Why do they use that instrumental? And really just start to think a little bit more about what you're hearing and seeing and, and just watch the shows you like. Exactly what is the language of that music supervisor? And use that to fuel yourself if you're an artist to kind of, uh, you know, hear your stuff towards that that 
Uh, I, I'd put out there that, you know, I, I think more and more now the music supervision community is really finding its voice, right? And and so so given that, like, you know, things like the GMS and stuff like that, where they're, they're society, you know, the Guild of Music Supervisors, they're societies where they're coming together and really trying to speak to all the things related to their profession. Because of that, you, what you'll find is that more and more of them are doing things like, uh, you know, blogs or podcasts and things like that so that they can kind of get the word about, out about what creatively and mechanically this, this sort of job looks like. And so there, what you can do is you can start to look for, you know, as Derek kind of pointed out, the, the things that you love. So you go to a film that you love, find out, you know, in IMDb, who the music supervisor was on that film, and then go look for them and follow them on these various, you know, forums, on the internet, on Twitter, on, on what have you, right? And that'll start to give you a sense of the conversation that's starting to happen around this particular job. And, and I think that that's a great place to start. I'd like to add one thing. For those of you that want to be a music supervisor, it's, a, you know, obviously interning into place or a library like these guys or on a publisher. But the other thing I'll, I'll give you a couple of hints. One is you've got a friend, a student film, somebody who's working on a film. The first rule about getting the job is is making yourself, you know, wear the clothes for the job you want, not the job you have. So you want to do what's called a breakdown on the script. You want to take their script. You say, hey, give me your script early. I know you haven't even shot it. But let me just read this and see where your music needs are. You're going to go put, they're going to have things in the script that says we got a song here. He's singing that. But if they say they walk into a coffee shop, you're going to go, hey, I'm seeing 122. Is there music playing at the coffee shop? They walk in, people are dancing. What kind of music are they dancing to? You're going to go in and you're going to make up a, 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 a fictitious music cue sheet for a film that hasn't even been shot. And they're going to go, I didn't even think of that. If you can find any place they didn't think of, you're already now they're going to go, well, let's talk to Serona, our music person. She's the one we talk. You go in there, do it for free. Say, I'll break this down for you for free. I'll write down my notes. And here's what I sort of think. What kind of music is she listening to in her room? You make yourself their partner, their creative partner. Possession is nine-tenths of the law. So there's the first thing I would do, especially Miami's got a film school, man. Go suck up to the film students. Yeah, I left a link in the, um, in the chat um, to uh, a book that most of us read thoroughly um, in this industry. Um, and it's um, All You Need to Know About the Music Business by Donald Passman. And it has been updated. Yeah, that's an amazing book. And, and especially to learn the legalities, Music, Money, and Success by Jeff Brabeck and Todd Brabeck. Um, multiple chapters on music and commercials and film and TV and jingles. You know, a lot of the legal stuff um, is in that book, um, too. So great resources out there. Yeah. You know, on our website, we actually have a list of all the industry terms, all in this, that, the other, ghostwriting. So if you go to musicsupervisor.com, there's a glossy of terms where we've tried to explain it all for you anyway. There's also some great YouTube videos. Um, you know, there are people that uh, really know this game. And I, I say a game because, <laughs> I mean, it's a volumes game sometimes. It's a it's every kind of game. But um but yeah, I would um, just type in something like uh, music licensing or licensing music for film and TV, um, just certain keywords, um, you know, getting your music in TV and film or something like that. Amazing. All right. I feel like that is 
all so much good advice. It really just sounds like the information is out there. You just have to go like use your resources, take the initiative, and you can find the information that you need. Amazing. Thank you all so much for joining us, our panelists, as well as our beautiful audience for being a part of this great conversation. Um, we are going to wrap up this panel now.